This is uh, part two of practically giving your life to Yeshua, which is, the point of it is, this is something that you want to do if you want to be part of the first resurrection. Jesus is going to come, and it says that he is going to actually gather those to himself that are going to lead with him as kings and priests for a thousand years. And the qualification to lead with him is to be one with him, to actually be a part of his body to the point where you're a witness and you get persecution for being that witness. And this is actually really clear in Revelation 20. Now, you might not hear that preached a ton, but it is really clear in the word that this is the qualification for the first resurrection. It says, blameless and holy is he who takes part in that first resurrection. Blessed and holy or blameless and holy. Okay, so to do that, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the first resurrection, we have to recognize there's an enemy to the body of Jesus. And that enemy... Well, there's two enemies, but there's an enemy outside of you named Satan that's actually trying to inspire you to work counter to what Jesus wants to do, thinking that you're actually helping God. And that's what we're going to talk about today is this kind of next step in practically giving ourselves to Jesus and recognizing that we have to go deeper into the leadership of the Spirit if we want to do that. Okay, so item one, Satan's hidden tactics. And Father, I just pray you would uncover for us, for me individually, and for everybody here individually, that we'd actually not try to think about other people and the way that this affects them, but we just try to see the way that enemy is attacking us and trying to keep us in a prison of our own flesh. Would you uncover chains this morning and break them in the name of Jesus? Okay, so Satan wars by tempting us into the flesh. If you've ever watched a horror movie or been around people that don't know that much about God or are brand new to the church or even congregations that get into demon hunting or deliverance ministry, it'd be tempting to think that Satan's main activity is like poking you or getting you trapped in a house where you can't get out or surrounding you with people that hate you. That's not Satan's way that he attacks you. In fact, he can't really attack you that way. Satan is very limited in the way that he can attack you. And if you want to know about that, read Job 1 and 2. If you read Job 1 and 2, you find out Satan can't do anything but ask the Father for permission to sift his servants. So you want to actually understand the enemy, he's, he, but he's very active. So get that, don't take that the wrong way. You might think, well, you know, he's kind of a toothless lion over there, which I've said that before, but he's not that toothless. He's actually quite toothy, but you got to see the way his teeth bite into you, Okay. So Satan wars by tempting us into the flesh. Satan cannot touch us without permission. He finds where we agree with him about God. Satan's actually looking for where you agree with Satan about God in doubt, impatience, fear, jealousy, and selfish ambition. He's actually, it says he's roaming around like a lion looking whom he could devour. And so, you know, I've, I've said it many times. And I just feel like the Lord's highlighting it for whatever reason right this second. The idea of a toothless lion, it's true. He can't physically <clears throat> rip into you, but he is looking to devour you, <laughs> okay? So don't take that idea too far. That's one of those things that comforts our hearts, but sometimes leaves us, leaves us vulnerable to the enemy attacking us, okay? So he finds out where we agree with him about God. Now, what would agreeing with Satan about God sound like? If you were, like, agreeing with Satan about God, but you didn't realize it, what would it sound like, Sam? That's unfair. Good, yeah. So an idea like this thing that happened to me is unfair. What are some other ones? Did God really say? He's a hard man. This is never going to work. What if I don't have enough? What if this happens? What if that happens? I feel alone. I messed up. I'm stuck. These are, these are all accusations against God's ability to take us into the next thing that God has for us. Like, we have to recognize our complaints, our fears, our worry, our impatience is actually, actually an accusation against God. So a lot of times God will tell us something that he wants to do in our lives, and I didn't learn this in a book. I learned this the hard way, and I'm still learning it. As soon as God tells me something, my flesh starts to figure out how that thing is going to happen. And as soon as I start figuring out how it's going to happen, I start looking for ways that I'm going to get blocked in the thing happening, and I start trying to press through. Impatience says to God, God, I don't think you can do the thing you just said to me. Do you see what I'm saying? And Satan, he's looking for these ways that we agree with him about God so that he can get into the door of our hearts. That's what he wants. He wants in the door of our hearts, but he doesn't come barging in like a party crasher. 
He actually comes sneaking in like a whisperer. He whispers thoughts that just put some fuel on the fire of what's already in our hearts to disagree with God about, okay? So that's why it's so important to not just like what Barbara was saying, not just go through the, you know, I just picture my kitchen. If somebody came to my door and they're like, give me the most valuable thing you have. And I went to my kitchen junk drawer and I'm like, okay, I found a few things. You know, maybe they want the, the battery that I think might be worn out, but I'm not sure. Or the screwdriver that doesn't actually do anything. Or that's not what God's looking for. He actually wants to come into our house, find the valuable thing that we don't even know about and take that and make it something beautiful. Okay. So we don't want to tend to look for our own sin and give it to God. What we want is for him to show us our sin. And usually the way that he does that is through painful interactions with people that are sometimes not the best intentioned. That's why he says, bless your enemies. Pray for those who curse you, those who spitefully use you. Like, don't block them out. Actually open your heart and receive the critique of Satan. Make peace with your adversary while you're in the way. And if you'll do that, then what happens is he falls in the pit that he's dug, okay? We, we want to understand that Satan, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he doesn't understand. God's way of dealing with Satan, it confuses Satan. He doesn't really understand it. So we have to recognize he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's a created being just like we are. He, but he's not made in God's image like we are. Do you see what I'm saying? So he's not creative like we are. He doesn't have access to the Father's heart like we do. He doesn't have the Spirit filling him. So he doesn't know a lot. There's a ton he doesn't know. And so we want to recognize this and open our hearts to God to search us. And he uses Satan to do that often. But we don't want to let Satan in and use us to accuse God. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a big difference. Big difference. So he hides his attack in our good intentions to be like God, because he believes the same about himself. He actually, Satan believes he has good intentions. And if you, you should check me on this. Read Isaiah 14, read Ezekiel 28. Look at the way Satan dealt with Adam and Eve. Look at the way Satan dealt with Jesus. Look at the way Satan deals with his enemies. And you'll see he's always trying to be like God. If he could, he would be benevolent if he could. He would be generous if he could. He would be loving if he could. He just can't pull it off because all the fruits of the Spirit are literally fruits of the Spirit. He has nothing God doesn't give him. And God doesn't give him the ability to usurp God. He doesn't, okay? That's why you see in Job, Satan coming to, to God, and he's like, God, the problem for Job is you're too good to him. You put this hedge of protection around him. Let's take that thing away and see what, what Job will do under my leadership, right? But we have to understand, God, A, never gives Job over to Satan's leadership, though Satan wants it. But he sees something in Job that he could give to Job if Job would see something in Job, which is that Job was really afraid. Job was afraid that his kids were having parties, and they may have done something wrong. And he didn't trust God to lead his kids like, they, like he led Job, so he wanted to be God to his kids. He kept offering these sacrifices, thinking God is hard, and he doesn't understand these kids. Do you see what I'm saying? And God came and corrected Job in a massive way because he liked Job, not, not, to, not to punish him, because he liked Job. Okay? Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. This is Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, did he say it out loud? He said it in his heart. Who heard it? Just God. There's things that you're saying in your heart right now that God is hearing and he's dealing with you accordingly. And that's actually some of the problems that we're having, some of the relational problems we have, some of the anxiety, some of the unsettledness that we have are because God hears what you're saying in your heart, okay? And he loves you. He's unwilling to let you go the rest of eternity with these accusations harbored in your heart. For you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to ascend into heaven? How? Where, where did God put Adam and Eve? Did he put them in heaven? Did they just, every time they wanted to, they take God out of their pocket and be like, hey, God, what's going on? God came to them, right, on his terms. Coming down, right. So when you look at all the places man touches God in the heavenly realm, does man just go in there any old way they want to, any old time they want to? No. 
When God erects the temple and he gives us the model of the way he interacts with man, it's actually people take turns coming in. David's tabernacle, there's 4,000 singers and musicians. There's 24,000 gatekeepers. Could all 28,000 people be in the tent at the same time? Do you know what a huge privilege over all of creation you have if you have a prayer time that you have dedicated to the Lord, you've consecrated the Lord, and you can come here? That's taking part in something that God actually wants to dwell with man. Do you see what I'm saying? Satan wasn't okay with that. Satan was like, I want as much of heaven as I can get. Does God like that? No. I want as much of the leadership of God as I can get. And then God gives you rest. God gives you rest for your soul. He didn't make you to be God. He made you to be with God on his terms. Do you see? This is so important right now. So important. Because what is going to happen is Satan wants to load you down with things that will break you. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they load you with burdens they won't help you with. They want to break you. They want you under them. But God doesn't want that for you. He actually wants you free. He wants you to enjoy God. He actually wants to show you that if you submit to his leadership, your life will actually get more free, not less free. But your flesh fights that because Satan hates that idea. He wants to do everything that he thinks is good on his own terms. And that's actually what made him fall. You see what I'm saying? For you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. We do this. Now, the reason I'm saying is we do this in many ways. When we get lofty ambitions of being the ones that do all the stuff we read about in here, this never teaches you to be all the ones that do all the stuff. This teaches you to obey God's commands, and then he does through you all the stuff he wants done. That's a big difference. Big difference. And the church is going hard into Babylon right now. Let's get together, get one language, one speech, and do some amazing stuff. That's, that's an antichrist church called the harlot Babylon. You don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to do everything you can do. You really only want to do the things that God calls an, a light burden and an easy yoke and rest for your soul. Okay, this is, I could not stress how important this is. You don't want to be like Satan serving God. And Satan still serves God. Did you know that? Satan appears before God when he needs to, when he's told to, and he goes and does the bidding of God. He must. He's a rebel. He doesn't do it out of love. He does it because there's an authority structure that he can never get out of. He will never get out of it. This is so important. Do you know you can look like somebody who serves God and be a rebel in your heart? I'll ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So if we saw two objects and one's a counterfeit of the other, they'd look very similar, right? If we saw a dollar bill and a counterfeit dollar bill, if you didn't understand the difference between the two, you might actually take the one and, and try and spend it. This is how Satan is. He's trying to be like God. He's not trying to be a scary devil guy with a pitchfork poking you. He's trying to come alongside you and say, hey, did, did God really say that? How can we do that? How can we do that faster? How can we do that better? This is what he said to Adam and Eve. So when we hear, did God really say, we could, we could load that up with, oh, he's trying to say God didn't say that. He knew God said it. He knew they knew God said it. He was just trying to get in the conversation with them. Hey, what, what were you and God talking about? How do we do that better? How do we do that faster? Yeah, he, he doesn't want you to maybe eat that because you're going to be like him, but you, I mean, you could, right? So in your mind, if you're in the flesh, you will find all kinds of God reasons to do the thing that Jesus says not to do, like be mad at your enemies, manipulate, navigate, try to get th- people to see things, try to get people to not see things. You'll do all kinds of things thinking you're serving God, but according to Jesus in John 16, he says the people that are going to kill you to his disciples, he said they're going to think they're serving God because they don't know the Father and they don't know me. We have to take that warning to us. We could actually try to do things for God and end up killing his body because he's going to give delusion to people that don't love the truth. So you might be like, I would never hurt anyone. I just am impatient about ministry promises. And he would say, I'm going to pour out delusion on people that are impatient about ministry promises, and they are going to hurt people, just like they have in many times in the past. So we want to be serious right now about giving our heart to God, okay? 
If you have too much confidence in you, you won't do that. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, surely, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Was Satan wrong? No. From the flesh's perspective, Satan was right on. Actually, they didn't fall over dead. Their eyes were open. They saw their nakedness, and they understood that they were sinning when they didn't know that before. From the flesh's perspective, Satan sounds actually pretty accurate. you got to recognize this. you got to understand the wiles of the devil. Right? They could, I'm sure they thought about this for years, and they were like, wait, he was right. But was he from heaven's perspective? No. They died instantly. As soon as they lost the leadership of the Spirit, they were dead. And sin entered the world, and enmity entered the world. They were dead in their relationships. They were, the earth was starting to die. All of that, it started instantly. They just, from the flesh's perspective, could not see it. You can't serve God in the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. It's not supposed to make sense to your flesh. It's supposed to actually humble and break the pride of your flesh. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. In her flesh, she looked at it, just like the devil had pointed out, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Satan is looking for your vulnerability. He knew this vulnerability in Adam and Eve. Now, if you think about the story of Job, did Satan have to get permission to go into that garden? Yes, he did. Satan looks for your vulnerability. Is Satan asking to sift you like wheat? Always, yes. I mean, if you're trying to get into the purpose of God, which you all are, you're actually asking God to sift you. And God sifts you by Satan's evil intentions. This is the way God judges everything. He takes the evil intentions of Babylon to judge Israel, and then he raises up the Persians and the Medes, and they judge Babylon. He uses free will. He could, because he loves love. And so we have to understand there are certain things going on that God's like, I want to get rid of that for you, and I'm going to actually use Satan. He's going to come alongside of you, not to poke you with a pitchfork, to try and find out where in your heart you don't trust me, or you have fear about my leadership, or you're impatient for things to happen, or that you feel ashamed that you don't look like a Christian. That's the main way Satan attacks you is by getting you to feel ashamed that you don't look like a good Christian. I'm going to show this to you in the Word. That's the main method of his attack is to speak to you about what good Christians do and how you don't do it. This is so important. He's an accuser. So the way you can make this real practical this morning is that if you're thinking about other people and what a good Christian does and how they're not doing it, you're like Satan. You're like Satan. And you got to get out of it. You got to get out of it. I got to get out of it. We all got to get out of it. This is the danger of not being correctable is you have a breach in your defenses and you don't want to hear about it because Satan's actually looking. He, not only does he look for it, he knows what it is and God tells him he has permission to sift it. Satan finds it, accuses you like an attorney before God, and he says, if you touch that thing, they'll deny you. And God has so much hope and confidence in you and his ability to carry you. He just wants to teach you how to trust him. He lets Satan touch things. This is what he did with Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. 1 Peter 5, 5-11. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? so that you can close up the vulnerabilities against Satan. If you try to do what this says, you will find all kinds of pride and arrogance. You, all of you be submissive to one another. You ever try to do that? You ever try to be submissive to a bunch of people that you think don't know as much as you or maybe more know, they, know more than you or you spend a lot of time with them, you get familiar with them? That's hard to do. You need actually God to search out all of your pride for this to actually work. But God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's why he does it this way. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, Peter was not confused about how this worked. That's why you see all these things together. But in your flesh, if you read this passage in your flesh, you'll break it all into pieces. And you'll be like, okay, yes, we should all be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. And then he says something about proud. I guess it's connected to the humility. And we forget that being submissive to one another will, ex it will 
exacerbate and identify all your pride. That's what he's saying, okay? God resists the proud. That's why you need to do this, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Everybody say that. He cares for you. It's guaranteed he does. Be sober then. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is why we do the submission to each other, because the enemy's looking for where we don't want to so he can get in and tell us all the ways that's going to serve God, not submitting to other people. You ever, anybody here ever had this experience? Everybody should be raising their hands. You had it with your parents when you were two. Everybody's had this experience. I know better about how this works, Dad, than you do. Noah never said that, but all my other kids did. Casting all your cares upon him. Okay, but may the grace of God, wait, no, uh, resist him, steadfast in the faith, resisting the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Everybody that's truly a part of the family of God is doing this, is what this says. So if you're not doing this, you're not truly a part of the family of God. All the brotherhood does this. But God is so gentle, so patient, so kind, he will let you go on in your own self-leadership and not make you do this. So you want to voluntarily do this. Submit yourself to one another. That's mutual submission. That's not an hierarchy like a pyramid. That's saying, I want to serve you. You're going to serve me. I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to tell me the truth. I'm going to look for your leadership in areas. You're going to look for my leadership in areas. And all together, we're going to find out all the places we're prideful. That means it's going to be a little chunky. It's the washing machine. We talk about that quite a bit. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. but made, Now, when, when you have these sufferings, the temptation is to think it's unjust, it's not fair. Find a few other people that will agree with you about how unfair it is. That's the devil working in that. This is what you signed up for. You signed up for people to misunderstand you, not get what you're doing. You don't get what they're doing, but you... Oh, that hurts somewhere in my pride, or that hurts somewhere in my shame, or that hurts somewhere in my impatience, and so that we cannot be vulnerable to the enemy, because the gates of hell are going to be released on the church, and it won't prevail against the brotherhood that likes these sufferings. That's actually like, oh, this is all about me changing to become like God. He doesn't need me to bring his kingdom to earth. He wants to bring his kingdom here, inside of me, okay? And may the grace, God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Anybody here feel unsettled? Raise your hand if you feel unsettled. This is the way to become settled, is to actually let the devil show you your flaws through people that aren't in the spirit, though they claim to be, this is what we were talking about last time I talked, the Petri dish of the perfect context to learn sanctification is the same one Jesus walked out across through. If you don't follow him in that same context, in that same process, you can't be saved. You can't be saved. The the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus is going to be this on a global scale. It's going to be very difficult, especially at the beginning. There's going to be people warring against Jesus for real at the beginning of the millennial reign. After you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion and forever and ever. That's what he wants, is glory and dominion. He wants the government over you. Satan comes as an angel of light. He is always reasoning to you how not being like Jesus serves Jesus. That's the main way he talks to you. How in this case, yes, you got to understand that. Jesus said that, but he really meant that unless this. That's the way he talks to you. That's how he comes as an angel of light. Let's get this done. Yes, well, of course we're supposed to forgive our enemies. Of course we're supposed to bless those who curse us. We're supposed to pray for those who spitefully use us, except for what does that really mean? Well, I can tell you what it really means. Forgive your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's what Jesus did. If you want to know what it means, look at what Jesus did. And if you're doing something Jesus didn't do, you can know for sure the enemy is attacking you. Because Jesus is trying to conform you to his personality. That's what he's doing. His attacks are simple to see for the humble, those resigned to an embracing of their weakness and trusting God's kindness. And it's impossible to see his attacks for the proud, those who trust in their own strength and believe they're more righteous than those they feel are resisting them. 
That's me. I don't know about you, but that's me. I generally feel more righteous than the people resisting me. And God is like, that's a problem for you, Tom. That's a problem for you. You have to recognize I'm doing something in you. I want to bring that kingdom through you. So that means I'll be the one that evaluates your righteousness. You be the one that embraces the misunderstanding, the persecution, when they, when they hurt you, when they revile you, when they cast you out. Count it all joy. Now, Satan will come and say, you count it all joy, except for as you're bashing them over the head for being bad Christians. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus literally counted it all joy. And you have to, too, if you want to be with him. Satan appeals to our desire to please God and turns that desire. He's looking for where you're trying to please God and turns that desire in us to the strength of our flesh. He just wants to see where do they want to serve God. I just want to speak to that so I can get them to try and do that in their own strength so that you won't serve God. That's the whole point. God made you to take care of you. He made you weak. He made you dust without him. He made you to provide for you. He made you so you would need him forever. And Satan just wants to turn you away from that thinking, I'll be like God. That's what he's looking for. That's what he did. That's why he wants you to do it too. So he appeals to our desire to please God and turns that desire in us to the strength of our flesh, finding our pride, but in a way that cloaks itself in shame. So pride, you can, you can let pride go undetected if you feel shame because you think when you feel bad about you that that's actually not pride. That's what Satan felt when he said, I will ascend the throne of the Most High. He felt like God made me beautiful. This is in Ezekiel 28. Perfect. I deserve better than this. I should be doing something better than this. That's called shame. I feel like I'm embarrassed about where I'm really at because of who I should be. Do you see what I'm saying? That cloaks pride. Satan is unaware of his pride. He thinks he's better than God. So this is the way it works. Satan asks, do you want to really please God? And your flesh responds, I'll be good for God. That's where everything falls apart right there. You don't realize it, but that's where everything falls apart. As soon as you're like, when Satan's like, do you really want to please God? And you're like, I want to be good for God. You can't be good for God. You're dust. God made you. You literally can't. You can't be anything God doesn't make you to be. That's where the error happens right there. Satan forgot, for lack of a better term, that he was a created being, and he started to think he was God. But he's a created being. God wanted him to actually rest in the role God had given him. Okay? Then Satan asks, are you really God's child? If you want to be good for him, are you really? Are you acting like one of God's kids? Are you being good? Anybody had this experience? This is, especially when the church does the second commandment, it's very difficult to not feel condemned. When you see the church doing the second commandment, preaching the second commandment, preaching what we should do for other people, this is where, this is where the harlot Babylon and the Antichrist kingdom are going to take over the world, is trying to be God to the world. So we have to recognize it's in the second commandment stuff. That's where the Satan really kind of tries to get us. But it happens in the first commandment stuff. It happens when we're like, I don't read my Bible enough. I don't spend enough time with God. I really, I'm not connected. I'm distracted. I'm, I'm so focused on these other things. God knows. He sent his son because he knows. He so loved the world. He knows you're distracted. He knows you have a hard time reading your Bible. He knows you're having a hard time focusing. He's not daunted by that at all. He's not disappointed one bit. That's where he wants to help you. That's what Mary Bethany found out. She's like, oh, this is actually pretty enjoyable. Just being with this guy, and I'm going to give everything to him at the right moment because he's giving everything to me right now. You don't have anything without him. That's the point, okay? But Satan asks, are you really God's child? And our accused flesh says, my weakness is evil. I will be good for God. You hear the I will in that? I'll be good for God. My weakness is evil. The way I'm made is evil. That's an accusation against God. He made you. Both of those are accusations against God. I'll be good for God. My weakness is evil. Satan is just trying to get us into a feedback loop where we start being God to ourselves. That's all he wants. He just wants us to be God to ourselves, just like he's God to himself, so that we can think we're good when we're actually rebellious and not serving God at all. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, this is in the, I'm going to show you this, when he, the way he tried to attack Jesus this way. Then Satan goes in for the kill. 
Once he's got you in this place, then he comes in for the kill. God has put the weight for who you are on you, not on him. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. God's put the weight for who you are on you. Be good for him. You better start pleasing him. And then he goes to the father and he says, they don't do it. They're not doing it right. They're not doing it right. You have to break out of this, okay? Because your flesh, when it hears that, it responds, I will ascend. I will get better than this, God. And you start striving. You start striving into this very same circle. Do you see what I'm saying? Or you quit altogether and Satan doesn't care either way. Quit altogether or strive your life away. But don't believe who you really are and who he really is. Whatever you do, don't believe in who you really are, weak and broken, and who he really is, a great father who's full of strength and, and power. If he can keep you out of that narrow thing, he wins, okay? He wins you. He's not going to win, but he could win you because he's looking for whom he could devour. This is the Antichrist spirit displacing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes and tells us the things that Jesus told us, and then he takes us deeper into our own weakness as we can bear it. That's his job, is to take us deeper into our own need for God. So in a million years, if you're sanctified and you're spending time, more and more time with the Holy One that the seraphim catch glimpses of and cover their eyes and cry out holy, in a million years of seeing this, you're going to be more aware of your need for God, not less. If you're really growing in Christ, you should be growing more aware of your need for God and less condemned in how you don't measure up to who Jesus is. When you read, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, you're never going to leave that poverty of spirit. You're not supposed to graduate into not needing God. You're supposed to stay there and become comfortable, naked and unashamed. That's the goal. That's what Adam and Eve lost in the garden in the fall. They suddenly were not okay with the way they were made. And God's like, who told you you were naked? I made you just the way I wanted you. Who told you this wasn't okay? Do you see what I'm saying? This is how we resist God. Now, listen to the way that Satan uh, tried to get Jesus out of being the Messiah. This is Luke 4, 1 to 3. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was let... holy. uh, All right, we got to pray right now. We got to pray. Some of you just realized something, and God wants to solidify it in your heart, and He wants to help you. He wants to help you. Don't lose whatever. I don't know who it was, but He just told me we got to pray. So, everybody, just close your eyes for a second. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing me my rebellion, how I've been listening to Satan. Forgive me. Forgive me. I don't want to do that, obviously. Help me to have confidence in your willingness to let me be just weak and needy. Just tell him that. If that's you, just say, help me to have strength, to have confidence that I could just be weak and needy. And he says, break from it right now. If you don't break from it right now, this is one of the last times you're ever going to hear this. You'll, you'll confuse yourself into rebellion. Don't do it. He says, if, you, if this touched your heart, break from it right now that you've got to be better for God. Break from it. Say, I'm sorry to him. Embrace that it's okay to be weak and needy. That's what you need to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's in God. He's in in the Spirit. He's where he's supposed to be. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. He's where he's supposed to be. The Holy Spirit left him hungry. That's good. Okay? But Satan... He knows he's hungry. And the devil said to him, if you, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Okay, this was the attack. This is what he did. Are you really the son of God? Do you really want to be good for God? If so, are you being good for God? You're his son. There's the stone. Turn it into bread. Are you really good? Are you a good Messiah? Are you powerful? What, how, what evidence is there that you're the son of God? Jesus did not bite. He did not bite. He wasn't trying to prove to anybody that he was the son of God. He was uninterested in demonstrating that he was the son of God. If you look at the, the gospels, you'll see this clear. You might even be frustrated. Why didn't you tell more people who you were? Jesus countered Satan's attack by A, placing all the weight back on the father's divinity. He put it all on, if Satan was trying to put all the weight on Jesus. If, then you do something. Jesus put all the weight back on the Father. 
Okay? He didn't assert his divinity, but rather he asserted his humanity. Jesus is all God forever and all man forever. He picked the man side of the equation when attacked by Satan, proved that you're the son of God. He picked the man side. He picked the weak side. He picked the baby side, the manger side. We're about to celebrate the manger. That was such an act of humility. Then he exposed his need for God, not God's need for him. This is the way he countered Satan's attack. Hear what I'm saying. You need this. You need this. He says, I need what he gives, not what I can get. Listen, this is what Jesus said. So, so Satan says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus countered it with this. It is written, God is divine. Man, me, man, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I'm not giving God anything. He's giving everything to me, Satan. Get behind me. This is the way you have to counter Satan. You have to put the weight back on God's divinity, on his sovereignty, on his power. You put the emphasis on your weakness. Do you see what I'm saying? God will, he will do something with a contrite heart that you won't believe. And you'll be tempted along the way to start to take credit for it. Because when you become beautiful, Satan fell when he became aware of his beauty. Once you've got something to lose, it's very tempting to try and keep it. But Jesus, do you see how he wasn't doing that? He put all the emphasis on God's sovereignty, his divinity, all the emphasis on his weakness, right? And then he said, God doesn't need me, I need him. God doesn't need me, I need him. We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about the one who said, come follow me. God doesn't need me, I need him. And that's a good place to be. That's who I am. That's what I picked, Jesus would say. I was in the council of the Godhead, and I picked that. Are you in the council of the Godhead picking that? Mostly not. I want to tell you mostly not because you're afraid of people seeing you as a bad Christian. You're afraid that if people see you as a bad Christian, they won't want Jesus either. Jesus wasn't worried about that. Jesus wanted the Father's leadership revealed in the earth. That's what you should want. The Father's leadership revealed in the earth. Satan wants you to be afraid of looking like something to people. That's called the fear of man. It's a snare. It's a hidden snare, though. It's very hidden. You can actually tell yourself that's what God wants is just for me to do this great so people will love Jesus. If I preach a great message, people will love Jesus. Not true. If I sing a great song, people will see the power of God working through me. Not necessarily true. If I'm faithful and I'm clear about my weaknesses and his greatness, I will see him do something in me, and he will shine something through me I don't understand. True. Okay? Satan advocates for God. Satan advocates for God. Most of the pressure you feel to be good for God is coming from Satan. He accuses us to God. Do you see that? He tells us what the rules are, and then he tells us how we're breaking the rules. He tells God how we're breaking the rules. Both. But he's the one that's so focused on us wanting to be good. A lot of what's going on in our head is not God. All while manipulating our vision of who we are, hijacking God's promise, and God's intentions, lying about God's character. He just slips in lies and accusations against us both, God and us. He just gets in between us and tries to twist, confuse the conversation. Satan is offended with God. He believes he was made for more than this. And he's become an offense to God because of this. And God is offended with Satan. It's clear in the Bible. Jesus said it a couple of times. God is, Satan is an offense to God. And if you act like Satan, you're an offense to God too. If you accuse the brethren, you're an offense to God, even in your heart. That's hard to accept. But God takes weak and broken people and matures them into something only he could do. So if he finds you, I just want to tell you, most of the people in this room accuse the brethren. Tell him about it. Come clean about it. Say, I'm weak. He's right. Satan's right. I do accuse the brethren. And then God will grow you out of it. But if you don't, if you just cover it, you're like, I do that because they need it. God will condemn you to hell with Satan. That's what he tells himself too. Satan tries to draw us into his pride and shame. All who get caught in the shame-pride trap become an offense to God until they repent. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and he'd be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. Doesn't that sound so good? 
No, 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 no. You're way too important for that, Lord. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter. Now, we find out later in the story, Peter said this because Peter was afraid that this wouldn't look good for him either. Far be it from you, Lord, this movement shouldn't go that way. I thought we were going to go win the world. It wasn't just about Jesus, okay? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter wasn't, supposed, wasn't opposed to the righteousness of sacrificial death, which we're going to find out in just a second. He, he, he completely understood the idea of it being amazing, being willing to die for, for other people. He actually claimed that he was ready to die for other people. He thought that was awesome. What he didn't like was the shame of being misunderstood. He could not stomach the shame of being misunderstood. Matthew 26, 34 to 35. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, trying to warn Peter, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So Peter, he didn't have a problem with the idea of it being righteous and good and noble to die for somebody. That, was not, that wasn't what he was, he was trying to stop Jesus from thinking in Matthew 16. It was something else. Matthew 26, 66 to 70. What do you think? They answered and said, he's deserving of death. This is obviously the high priest, Caiaphas. This is Jesus' trial at the high priest's court. Then they spat in his face, beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. He didn't want to be caught up in the wrong movement. He didn't want to be seen as a bad guy. He wanted to be seen as a good guy, even unto death. So do you. So do you. But I want to tell you, Paul Washer's preached this for probably 20 years, and it's true. They've never persecuted a Christian for being an amazing Christian and really loving God, ever. It's always for being a criminal, a tax evader, a subversive traitor. And if you don't like being seen as somebody who's not a good Christian, you're going to have a huge problem when persecution washes over these shores. Huge. And most are going to fail, according to the Bible. Most are going to fail. So this is why we're talking about this. You can practically give your life to Yeshua right now by not worrying about looking like a good believer, a good follower of Jesus, and instead putting all the weight on his divinity, all the weight on your weakness, and saying, God doesn't need me, I need him. That's the witness Jesus requires. That's the only one he will accept, okay? Watching the world to see you as a good Christian is the trap the prideful fall into with Satan. Now, there's many ministries that are built on a false idea that Christianity is going to get so popular as these days unfold that everybody's going to want in and the church is going to grow. It's called dominionism. It's not true. Jesus is not looking for a popular church at all. In fact, he's destroying popular churches on purpose. Just look around. It doesn't take a lot of looking to see it. He's going he's gonna to make sure no one gets glory but him. No one. There's not going to be one preacher that's like, I, there's no Billy Grahams in heaven. Now, I'm not saying Billy Graham's not in heaven, but if Billy Graham's there, he's not claiming he did anything for God. He's claiming what God did for him. I want to tell you, watch out. The days, they are evil. Redeem the time. Find out for yourself, what is Jesus calling me to right now? Wanting the world to see you as a good Christian is a trap to pride to fall into with Satan. Your flesh reasons this is the witness Jesus wants. It isn't. He doesn't want a bunch of people to pick him apart from him touching their heart with their need, their need for new leadership, not for great leadership right there, their need for new leadership right here. That's the only way it works, okay? And for them to see that, there has to be a witness of somebody saying, it's not about that. It's about what he's doing here. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now, were all of these people murdering each other? Who's he talking to? Who's James talking to? The church. Were they all literally like sneaking around corners like, I'm going to kill that guy? How are they murdering each other? In their hearts. He said, if you're angry with your brother without cause, I find that this, you've heard it said, don't murder. I find, I'm saying that's murder. I require something more of people filled with my spirit. I require your thought life be pure. Your thought life has to be pure. Your heart has to be pure. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Probably nobody hears it. You say it in your heart. 
And you do this, right? You do this. You're jealous of other people's ability to serve God if you're human. And you got to come clean on that. You're impatient that you'd be better at serving God if you're human. you got to come clean on that. That's an accusation against God. You, like, secretly wish people who have offended you fail, even though they're God's children. That's evil. You have to come clean on that. That's Satan trying to get you to feel okay because of your self-leadership, not because of God's leadership. you got to put all the weight on his sovereignty. Yes, he said, even love my enemies, let alone my brothers. Right? We have to recognize Satan has gotten in to the machine. He's pulling lots of levers, but you live in the generations. Jesus is going to kick him out. Yes, Dave. How do you love your enemy? The same way that Jesus does. Pray. So there are people, Dane, that accuse God of not even existing, and he gives them breath every day. He gives them food. He gives them love in their family. He gives them purpose in life. He blesses them. It's really practical. It's actually really simple. It's not like some other definition of love for enemies. It's you love them. You see they're made by God. You see that God made them for a purpose and a destiny. You tell the truth to them, but you speak it in a way that is hopeful because God made everybody and his desire is that none would perish. So you really, really actually love them. And if you do what I'm saying, people will misunderstand it and hate you for it. They'll say you're evil because you're blessing the unrighteous. That, that's just kind of the way it goes. But there are times that God tells us to speak truth in love like he speaks it to us because we don't want to see somebody perish. So we could have an enemy that's actually wrong, doing something wrong. And God tells wrong people they're wrong. But the way that he tells me that I'm wrong is a way more gentle than the way Noah tells me I'm wrong. Another Noah joke. He had to get both sides of the coin. So we, we have to speak truth in love, full of patience and kindness and generosity. Like God, when he tells me I'm wrong, he still gives me food to feed myself and my family, still makes the sun shine on me, still lets the rain fall on me, still gives me a house to live in, even when I'm wrong and, and doing something that he's against. So we have to learn to have that same personality operating in our thoughts and our leadership. Does that make sense? Yeah, so Dane's saying, for the sake of the stream, Jesus, he loved the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he had boundaries for them. He actually, he didn't treat them the same way that he treated his friends, actually. He said harder things to them, but at the same time, we have to remember the divinity of Jesus. Agreeing with the divinity of the Father, the Father was still giving them thoughts in their minds, still helping them breathe, still helping them eat, didn't take away their positions of authority. But the way that Jesus did it that's a little different than the way you're describing it is because you're like, I have a hard time, like, I have... I have a hard time with boundaries and that kind of love. Jesus didn't have a hard time because of, the analogy, uh, because of the testimony we just read about the way Satan accused him. Jesus, it, they weren't his boundaries. They were God's boundaries. He just asked the Father, okay, Father, what are we doing now? Father, what are we saying now? Father, do we tolerate this? Father, do we answer this? Father, do we walk away? There were times Jesus didn't say a word, even though he knew the right answer, right? So he didn't have any boundaries. That was kind of the beauty of it. The Father had boundaries, and he abode in the Father. And that's what you're really saying is, Tom, I get to the point where my logic fails because I'm trying to love and have boundaries at the same point and at the same time. And God would say, great, that's the open door, that's the spiritual poverty for you to say, God, I just got to sit at your feet more. I need more revelation of who you are, and I need more confidence when I'm in these sticky situations to hear your heart and not hear what the people are asking of me or telling me or accusing me of. And if you could get there then you'll be like Jesus. And the way that you get there, we see it in Mary of Bethany. So Mary of Bethany is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is running around here accusing her of not being a good follower of Jesus. And she's like, Jesus, tell her. She's not a good follower. And Jesus is like, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but Mary's found the better part. And so in the midst of the Last Supper, when everyone is confused about what's happening, Mary knows exactly what's going on and pours out her whole life on his feet. Because she's loving without any boundaries, right? She's, she's not trying to figure out, okay, how do I agree with Peter and James? And I, apparently Judas is going to go do something bad. And she wasn't confused by that scene at all. She's just like, there's you, and there's me, and here's what I have. Because she learned that under the pressure of the accusation of her sister. 
right? So that's what we're all called to right now. We're called to just say, I can't love my enemies, God. Not for real, not the way that Jesus did. I can redefine love and love them by being crappy to them. (laughs) I could do that, right? Or kind of nice and kind of crappy, or kind of nice and telling other people how crappy they are. Like, I could do that. But the way Jesus didn't do that, like he loved every single Pharisee more than any person they'd ever met. He loved them more than their grandma loved them. He loved them completely. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, Tim, to the extent that we have a thought decision to make, but we have no power behind it according to the word. So we can do that in the flesh. What Tim just said is you, it's a will decision, which is true. But I just want to add a little asterisk to that and say you can easily get into the flesh in that idea if, you're, if you don't tell God, I want to, I will to, but I can't. I can't without you giving me something more. We can only do it to our own standard without this actual opening our hearts to heaven and saying, I'm dust without you. Like, I can't. And if we'll do that, he will grow us into what you described more and more, not because we get better at it, but because we see our need at a deeper level and we stay more united to him. We stay more abiding in him. But that, that is true. It is a thought decision was what uh, Tim was saying. It's a, it's, a, it's a will decision. Okay. Now, warring by the spirit. Oh, wait, no. I want to finish this James 4 passage. You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss. Oh, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask, which is what we were just talking about, Dane. It's asking for that, right? We all want to be people that love our enemies, right? If you want to be a person that loves your enemy, raise your hand. You will end up in fights, wars, and quarrels in that if you don't ask it and receive it. Okay, And if you ask for it because you want to be seen as somebody that loves enemies, which is the way we start asking for it, you will still start wars and quarrels. When you start asking for it because Jesus deserves that witness in the world, that's different. Because you're going to be misunderstood. If you really love enemies, enemies are going to misunderstand you. That's the only way it works. So if you're asking for God to make you a lover of enemies so people will see that you love your enemies, that will backfire on you. It won't work good. But if you say, Jesus... You loved your enemies and nobody got it. I want to be with you. I want to go with you. Then he will do that through you, and you will not be a friend of the world. You'll be a friend of God. Okay, and let's finish this passage. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace? Therefore, he says... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we've been talking about how the devil gets in, right? This is what James is talking about. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Can you do that? Can you cleanse your hands, you sinners? Can you tell God how you don't? Yes, you can't do it, but you can tell God that you want it. God isn't looking for what you'll do for him. He's looking for what you're willing to want from him. And you have to be honest with where you're really at if you're going to do that. Now, the irony of the whole thing is that when you are just honest about being naked and unashamed about your need, all the weight comes off of you. But we feel way more comfortable weighed down than we do exposed in needing God. You feel way more comfortable, weighed down by expectations and accusations and condemnation and striving and what you're doing. It's so hard, but I'm really working hard for you, God, so I can feel good about my life. And he's like, you're in prison. I don't feel good about your life. How about if I feel good about your life? I made you to be free. I made you to just be little old you, big old me. I'll do a lot with the little. Just tell me what you need. Just tell me what you need. That preach is easy. It's the death of your flesh. It's the death of your pride. And you got pride in ways you don't even know. That's why, we, that's why we submit to one another. It exposes our pride. And if it exposes your pride and you get offended, well, then you're like Satan. You got to get out of it. You got to get out of it. Okay? You don't get out of it by saying, I will ascend. 
I will be better. My weakness is evil. That is Satan. You get out of it by saying, God, I'm nothing without you. If you're going to get a righteous person to the earth, you're going to have to do something. Because he's going to, and he will. He did. He already did it. It's finished, actually. Okay. Lament and warn, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's talking actually about prayer, okay? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. If you're speaking evil in your heart, I just want to tell you, I would say this. I, I'm not just saying it to light hop. I would say it to any congregation I was standing in right now. Look at the judgment in the earth right now. If you're speaking evil of your brother, stop it right now. Say you're sorry. And make a thought decision. This is not okay. This serves God in no way, shape, or form. Me acting like an accuser serves God in no way, shape, or form. And tell him you want to change. You have to, okay? If you want to be with him. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Who are you to judge another? Now, there is a time that you're called to have discernment and judgment. But that, there's a process that that happens in. There's a process that's open and exposed Satan judges in an accusatory, secret, sneaky way. Matthew 18 does judgment in an exposed, clear process of the authority and leadership of God. If you're doing anything outside of that in the way of accusing or judging, you are on your way to hell, for real. Don't go there. Satan is the accuser. This is how you know you're in the pit with Satan. When you start doing this, God is talking about your internal conversation, your thoughts. In all the ways he said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say you look and you lusted, you did it. You committed adultery. Act like you did the full thing if you looked and wanted. Get clean with me now. Get clean with me now. And that goes for anger, murder, keeping your word, all those things. Telling the truth. When you want to be God, you start seeing people as the problem. If you put yourself in God's place, you will start to see people as the problem. That's what Satan did. And Satan has a people problem. Okay? Warring by, why does Satan have a people problem? Anybody know? Extra credit. God gave the earth to man. Satan wants the earth. God's, God made us in his image. He didn't make Satan in his image. He's jealous of man because God gave the earth to man. And the only way he can get the earth is through the agency of man. We see it in the Garden of Eden, and he's trying to do it right now. He just wants more of your earth. He wants your three square feet. He'd be really happy to get your three, three square feet and have you thinking you're serving God. That's perfect scenario for him. Warring by the Spirit. Satan, two more minutes. Satan wants to invest, wants us to invest in our goodness and strive for God's kingdom to come to us. He wants it to be a thing that comes down in front of your eyes. Well, if those people accept Jesus, it came down. If that happens there, it came down. If I see the Spirit poured out here, it came down. That's not the way the kingdom's coming. It's not coming in a way as to be seen, okay? Jesus wants us to enjoy God's goodness. What? Yes. He wants us to enjoy God's goodness and wait for God's kingdom to come through us. That's internality. He doesn't want externality. He wants internality. That's the way Jesus was attempted uh, uh, by Satan in the second scenario. Satan preached, deliver them in you. When he took him up on the, the highest place and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, he was really saying to Jesus, deliver them in you to keep them from that cross thing, right? But Jesus, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to see the kingdom come that way. Martha was similarly inclined. So what Jesus did to address Satan's temptation to him to say, let that kingdom come in a way that you can control it. Jesus said, no, I'm letting something come out of me to God. Worship. He says, well, you worship the Lord. That's what happens. So if you want to get out of this externality that you're going to make the kingdom come down or God's going to let it come down after you prayed it enough, you're going to pray it 23 more times and he's going to pour out his spirit. That's not the way that works. They didn't know when the 10 days were going to be. They didn't know about the 10 days. We know about the 10 days. They just knew until. That was on the sign out in front of this church, right? Prayer, Wednesday, 730 until. We don't know when it's going to stop. This is what Jesus is offering. I don't know when the kingdom's going to come. That's, not my, that's none of my business. I'm going to give him everything I can until it does, and as it does, and when, after it does, and then forever, right? It's, just, it's a set heart for something different than we need the circumstances to change. 
We don't need anything to change. We can give him everything right now. No problem. If we do that, he'll do a lot more than if we try to get him to change things or us to change things. Okay, last point. Sorry. I don't know what time I started exactly. Does anybody know? Eight minutes after. Thank you, Paula. All right, I'm right at the one-hour mark. I'm going to take another two seconds, which means five minutes. Okay. Now when it happened, they, went into, they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. They both heard his word, right? But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Martha was listening to Satan. It might not seem that way. And you can hear all kinds of messages about we need Marthas too. We need no Marthas. None. For real. We just need Marys. There's just one thing required. He didn't say one thing for her and then one thing for you. There's one thing required. If you do this one thing, you will do so much more than Martha. Jesus didn't need anything Martha was doing. He did need what Mary was about to do. He needed a witness, and he said, no, you will never be forgotten. Every time this gospel is preached, they're going to remember you. You did the one thing because you did the one thing. Okay, so you want to do the one thing. Uh, God's ways aren't our ways. He doesn't want us to worry about the wicked. I'm going to say it one more time, and the worship team can come back up. He doesn't want us to worry about the wicked or show ourselves as righteous. This is what the main activity of the church is to worry about the wicked and to show itself as righteous. Listen to what I'm saying. He doesn't want you to do either of those two things. I'm going to read this to you. This is the heart of David. David is the man after God's own heart. A psalm of David, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers. If you fret because of evildoers, raise your hand. Be honest. Don't do it. Tell him you're sorry. Repent. Actually tell him that's not okay. That's an accusation against you, God. You made the evildoers. Don't fret, but we all do it. I would raise my hand too if I didn't have a mouthful right now. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. I won't even have you raise your hand, but the truth is, there's lots of people that look like they're amazing servants of God, and you're envious of them, and they're actually lawless, and you don't know it. Don't be envious of workers of iniquity. David is talking about a religious context in Psalm 37. If you read it in its context, you will see that. There are tons of workers of iniquity, many lawless. He says, many are going to come to me. They're going to say, I prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, did many wonders in your name. They're workers of iniquity, workers of lawlessness. Don't be envious of people that do stuff. Be open to God taking you and putting you into rest. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass. Their folly will be seen, as the way Paul said it to Timothy, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Elisha, you can play a little chord, sir. Yeah, that make, doesn't that make it sound like, oh, yeah, okay. That's a wrap-up passage right there. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He might bring it to pass. He shall bring it to pass if you commit your way to him. If you don't, he won't. You might. That's the scary part. You might bring it to pass. And that'd be a false witness. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. This is what you're supposed to do as a follower of God. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Now your flesh will say, if everybody just rested, nothing would get done. But if you've ever rested with the Lord, I can guarantee you, you'll have about 60 great ideas of what ought to happen within about 10 minutes. And you need to keep resting until he isolates that one and then gives you the power to do it supernaturally. But if you never do that, you will do all kinds of fruitless works of the flesh. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Now, David wrote this. David was king of Israel. He was the greatest warrior. He's the one all of Israel pines for. He did a lot. But he preached, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Just wait. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth in his heart. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Stand with me. If you've been fretting about people, and I think you have, I think I have it on good authority that you've been fretting about people. We're going to let that go today. We're going to lay that down. What he wants to give us is rest. What he wants to give us is supernatural power. He's going to pour out his spirit very soon. And when he does, you're going to get passed by if you haven't done Joel 2. There's people that are preaching Joel 2 like crazy right now. Don't take that in the flesh. Don't Joel 2 in the flesh. That's the opposite of Joel 2. Joel 2 in the spirit. Tear your heart, not your garment. Let's just do that right now. Holy Spirit, right now in this room. We're sorry we've been accusing you, God, by fretting about your people. Lord, we've been fretting about Hamas, political leaders, fretting about church people, fretting about church leaders. You made them all, God. I'm sorry. They're not mine. They're yours. I open my heart to you. Make me ready to be with Jesus. Help me to give myself to Yeshua for real, not in pretense, for real. Cleanse my heart of its arrogant pride of trying to be God, trying to be like God. And I can afford to wait on you. I can afford to sit in the dirt at your feet. God, would you break the spirit of pride over us in Jesus' name? Cancel the assignment of pride against us. Cancel the assignment of shame against us. Fill us with confidence in your character, God. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord. In Jesus' name.